On January 4, 2020, director and writer Lorenza Mazzetti died in Rome at the age of 92. A little more than a year before, on Monday 10 September 2018, UCL and the Slade School of Fine Art awarded an honorary fellowship to Lorenza Mazzetti. The event took place at the British School at Rome and featured the screening of our most famous film, Together, made in 1956. The event marked the strong and lifelong relationship between UCL and Lorenza Mazzetti, who was a student at the Slade School of Fine Art in the early 1950s. With this podcast, I would like to invite you to discover Lorenza Mazzetti and her artistic legacy. Lorenza Mazzetti's so-called London films, K, made in 1954 and together, are the result of a revolutionary approach, both to fiction and documentary filmmaking, that got combined with dramatic personal circumstances and with the lack of being in the right place at the right time. It is with these personal circumstances that I would like to begin my podcast, in the hope to establish a clear connection between Mazzetti's early life and her subsequent work. Lorenza Mazzetti was born in Florence in 1928. After the death of their parents, Lorenza and her twin sister Paola were virtually adopted by their father's sister Nina and by her husband Robert Einstein. Robert was Albert Einstein's cousin and lived with his wife and two daughters in a country house located about 20 kilometers southeast of Florence. Einstein had bought the villa in 1937 and the place had become a meeting point for artists and intellectuals, such as futurist painters Gino Severini and Giacomo Balla, whose works can be seen at the Historic Collection in North London, and Rodolfo Paoli, a professor of German literature at the University of Florence, who was the first person to introduce Lorenza to the works of Franz Kafka, that later became the subject matter for her first experimental film. During the Second World War, Things at the villa got increasingly difficult, and in the autumn of 1943, a division of the German army occupied the place to turn it um, into its headquarters, thus forcing the family to move into another building also located within the confines of the property. The precarious balance that characterized this cohabitation and the wider situation in the area further deteriorated during 1944. An ever-increasing number of people, scared by the climate of tension caused by the steady progress of the Allied troops and by the fear of possible acts of retaliation against the civilian population coming from the German soldiers, decided to go into hiding in the woods and mountains in the region. In the summer of 1944, Robert Einstein also went into hiding, following some local partisans. He left his family behind, however, for he was convinced that, being Jewish, the Germans would only be interested in him and not in his family. This proved to be a fatal mistake. On the 3rd of August 1944, an SS division entered the villa, put on a mock trial against Robert Einstein's wife and her daughters, shot them and set fire to the place. Robert Einstein survived the war, but devastated by grief, he committed suicide on the 13th of July, 1945, on the day of his wedding anniversary. This act of violence and its tragic consequences have been generally explained as a revenge carried out against Albert Einstein, who had left Germany in 1933, 
and had always been highly critical of the Nazi regime. The soldiers responsible for the massacre were never found. Lorenza and Paola Mazzetti survived the event simply because their surname was different. But they witnessed the whole thing, and Lorenza described the events in her first novel, Il Cielo Cade, The Sky Falls, which was published in 1961. After the death of her relatives, Lorenza moved first to Paris, then to London, in search of a total change that had dramatic emotional connotations and was to have a major impact on Mazzetti's work as a film director. Her move was further complicated by sudden financial troubles, when her legal tutor lost all the money that Robert Einstein had left to his two nieces. In October 1951, despite being alone and virtually penniless, Mazzetti decided to enroll to study painting at the Slade School of Fine Art. An account of her chaotic arrival at the Slade can be found in a number of interviews, but also in the pages of her London diaries, which were translated in English um, in 2018, and where she wrote, I gathered the drawings I've been obsessively making at night and bring them to the Slade School of Fine Art at University College London. I want to attend their classes. I arrive and introduce myself. A very poised and well-mannered young lady greets me, and with a smile informs me of the various reasons why I can't enroll in the college. With another smile, she asks me to leave. I'm thinking, there's no way I'm leaving. I'll never leave here. I'll stay put, and I'll have to call the police. I start shouting that I have a right to see and speak to the director before I leave. I raise my voice even more, and she also raises her voice. Finally, a door opens, and an extremely thin fellow inquires as to the reason for the mayhem. I intervene shouting that I must talk to the director. The thin fellow motions me to follow him. He asks what it is that I want to tell the director. Not knowing what to say, in order to obtain a meeting, I blurt out, I am a genius. Amused by my answer, he says, let me have a look at your drawings. I open my folder and show them to him. He seems interested and tells me, very well, starting tomorrow you'll be our student. Yes, thank you, but I'd like to speak to the director. He smiles and with his sharp and witty face, he says, I am the director. The encounter with Slade's director, William Coldstream, and the meeting with other students, such as the painter Michael Andrews and the sculptor Eduardo Paolozzi, played an essential part in Mazzetti's evolution as an artist and filmmaker by providing her with contacts and opportunities. Mazzetti made her first film, K, an adaptation of Franz Kafka's Metamorphosis, in 1954. The film, realized in 16 millimeters with equipment stolen from the storage room of Slade's Film Society, was made without professional actors and crew. But its highly experimental approach, not only in the treatment of the original story, but also for its use of mise-en-scene, editing and sound, come across in an immediately notable way. Lasting about 27 minutes, Kay opens on a high-angle shot of Gregor Samsa, interpreted by Michael Andrews, who strides through the crowd, walking against the current. This establishing sequence makes Gregor's isolation and dislocation instantly obvious. He is not a functioning member of society. In Mazzetti's rewriting, Gregor does not go through any visible transformation, 
And the simplification in the plot allows Mazzetti to expand on the themes of eradication and exclusion that at the time were still playing a major role in her autobiography. The sense of estrangement shared by Lorenza and by her version of the Caspian hero is expressed through a series of increasingly worrying identity crises. And even though his relatives do not reject him violently, like in the original story, in which Gregor is basically killed by his own father, it is clear for the viewers that they cannot neither understand nor share Gregor's incapacity of living a normal life. In order to tell this story of marginality and exclusion, Mazzetti makes a series of innovative technical choices. A frequent use of Dutch angles with the camera tilted off to one side increases the sense of being off balance when confronted by everyday reality and connects the film to an aesthetic that we could almost define expressionist. Also, the insistence on long sequences when our eyes are free to wander around the shot contributes to the feeling of uneasiness caused by the lack of a fixed point of reference. The completion of K is connected to an anecdote that links Mazzetti's first film with her subsequent work with the BFI and with the founders of the free cinema movement. As previously mentioned, Mazzetti filmed K with the equipment owned by Slade's Film Society. She also signed all the invoices to pay for the development of the photographic stock, pretending to be working on a project authorized by the school. When William Coldstream received the invoices, he asked Mazzetti to pay for them. The young filmmaker, who had no money and was working as a waitress in a cafe on the Charing Cross Road, refused to pay. Instead of pressing charges, Coldstream organized the screening of the film and promised Mazzetti to pay for all the expenses in case of a successful response. He also asked the BFI's director, Dennis Foreman, to attend the screening. Foreman, after watching Kay, asked Mazzetti whether she wanted to make a film without running the risk of going to prison and invited her to the BFI asking for a one-page treatment. The idea submitted to Dennis Foreman was the outline of Mazzetti's second film. Initially entitled The Glass Marble and afterwards renamed Together, that came out in 1956 as part of the first free cinema program, along with Lindsay Anderson's O Dreamland and Mama Donald Lau by Tony Richardson and Carol Rice. Free cinema was the umbrella title used to identify a series of six film programs shown at the National Film Theatre in London between February 1956 and March 1959. The first of these programs was created primarily with the practical aim of helping Mazzetti, Anderson, Rice and Richardson to find a way to get their films shown and gathering the films together in one program was easier than having them screened separately. Although made independently from one another and with different concerns at their core, the three films had an attitude in common and Anderson coined the label of free cinema to point out the freedom of these films, both from the pressures of the box office and from the expectations of the propaganda filmmaking that had characterized the documentaries produced in Britain during the war years. The screening program was initially considered as a one-off, but the success of the event was so astonishing that Anderson decided to repeat the experiment and to accompany each new program with a tailor-made manifesto. Free cinema was not simply a clever piece of cinematographic agit prop, but it was instrumental in challenging conservative forms of filmmaking in England in the late 1950s. 
The filmmakers involved in the movement rejected equally mainstream cinema and the kind of documentary filmmaking initiated by John Grierson in the 1930s. What they wanted to achieve instead was an objective, often critical, but still respectful portrayal of ordinary people that can be seen either at work, for example, we have the dock workers in Together, or at play at the fanfare in Margate in Anderson's or Dreamland. Other aspects of paramount importance for these filmmakers were the freedom of expression that had to be granted to the artist, and also the sense that cameras had to be taken out of the studios and onto the streets in order to give a true portrait of contemporary Britain. All the films were produced in semi-amateurish conditions, often with the same skillful but unpaid technicians working on more than one production. They were filmed on black and white film stock and were either self-financed or, as it is the case with Mazzetti's second film, supported by small grants, such as the BFI Experimental Film Fund. Filmed exceptionally in 35mm, when pretty much all the other free cinema features used 16mm stock, Together was filmed in London's East End that still looks ravaged by the war, and whose decaying appearance is reflected in the harsh and unwelcoming attitude that the local people have towards the two protagonists, two deaf-mute dock workers who are cut off from the outside world and have to depend on each other for survival. The two workers are interpreted by fellow Slade students, Michael Andrews again, and Eduardo Paolozzi, who give very convincing performances. The two characters are constantly followed by a crowd of jeering local children who are deceptively innocent and take on, as the film progresses, a menacing and sinister role. Once again after Kay, the characters in the film provide an outsider's perspective on the world. Mazzetti, in the interview included in the BFI edition of the film, admits that she was the outsider, and through these characters, she was still trying to project her own feelings of exclusion and loneliness. While often characterized by a constant buzzing noise provided by the recording of life at London's busy docks, the film's soundtrack occasionally cuts off, plunging the viewer into the silent world of the two friends and thus inviting us to share their perspective on life. This sudden cessation of sound is a very effective device, and it is at times almost shocking to revert to noise after long periods of silence. The two characters, although inseparable, seem to embody, at least in one respect, two different outlooks on life. Whereas Palazzi's character retreats into himself and seems to enjoy living inside his isolation, Michael Andrews' character appears to be willing to reach out and to engage in the life of the people around him. This split attitude probably reflects Mazzetti's own disorientation her inner fight between isolation and openness. Also, the final sequence in the film, about which I won't disclose much in the hope that you will see it for yourselves, seems to reconnect Mazzetti's work to the traumatic events of her childhood and permeates the film with a sense of creeping violence that is a constant undercurrent in her early works. After the screening of Together at the BFI, Mazzetti was invited to the Cannes Film Festival to showcase her work. From France, she went to Italy to see her sister Paola, and there suffered from a major nervous breakdown that led to a period of deep depression. She never returned to live in England. From the 1960s, she moved on to work for Italian television, 
and as a writer and later in life as the owner of a puppet theater in Rome. Although brief and adventurous, her time as a UCL student and her career as a filmmaker in London really contributed to renovate British cinema. I had the pleasure to meet Lorenza on a number of occasions, both in London and in Rome for her honorary fellowship. She was funny, affectionate, eccentric, and incredibly bright, and I feel very lucky to have made her acquaintance. I hope this podcast will stir your curiosity and made you want to watch her films and read her books. <laughs>